welcome back, everyone. You are listening to episode 91 of Double Hot Beat, where we take the pulse of the beer and brewing scene. I'm James, a home brewer and craft beer enthusiast. And I'm Shannon, a beer intermediate. Today, we'll be talking about split batch brewing, which we discovered on our recent trip to Pennsylvania. But first, let's check out the pulse of our homebrew scene and some of the craft breweries we've been to recently. Yeah, so Shannon, why don't you fill us in first on how your Philly Sour turned out? Because last episode, we had talked where you were excited to have it carbonated Mm -hmm. and give it a try. And what did you think? Yeah, so we carved it up. James is very proud of me. I cooked it up by myself, transferred it, did everything. And I tried it. And I think it was decent for my first try. It was a very basic recipe. I would say it's more of a base sour than what you might find in a brewery today and not many people have unfruited or sours without additives in it. So it was a very base light. It's, it's not like that funky, no. super sour. No, no, no. It's not super sour. Up your lips. Nope. I would not call Want to die after you have one sour. That's just James. Anyways. Um, no, it was not too sour. I'd say it was a very mild, sour flavor. And it was a super light beer, only 3.9%. So we could have you know, a couple of glasses. My brother tried it and said it tasted more like a cider. So take that for what you will. <laughs> but I think for my first try, it came out well. And the Philly sour yeast really, I think, did what it's hyped up to be because it does taste like a sour without having the, I guess, uncertainty or James's nervousness of me ruining brewing equipment with wild yeast strains. I'm so. still nervous. We'll see when I do the next beer in that fermenter how it comes out. But I don't think it'll have any issues Yeah, as long as it's cleaned well. And same with the, dra- the tap line as well. Mm-hmm. My next one is going to be a raspberry sour. Got all the ingredients to do that one. Yeah, and I think next time too, you could always take the pH as well to see if it fell within that range of like mm-hmm. for the sours too which normally we haven't taken ph for any of our beers but that's usually something most home brewers recommend when they brew a sour just to make sure that you're on track yep make note of it for next time so yeah i would say it was a success And to follow up from our last episode on the unique uses for brewing ingredients or unique things people have used in their beer, Barleyhead Brewery in Mystic, Connecticut. And what they have used in some of their beer or one of their beers is 32 ounces of seawater from the Long Island Sound into their 60-gallon batch of their Up Goes the Bridge mildly sour beer. Hmm. Does that sound something that you would want to try? Um, I think I would be okay with it because obviously water is boiled, so it's not like they're literally mixing raw water from Long Island Sound into your beer. And if you do think so. about it too, it's 32 ounces into 60 gallons yeah, that's not that of much. beer. So in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's kind of like a very minute. Yes. But I, I mean, yeah. yeah, we used to boil river water and then drink it. So, so there you go. We're, I think I would do it. But he says it, just, it gives it just the right amount of um, something special that is really unique to that qua? beer. Yeah, I mean, for sour beer, I could see that working out with the Long Island sound water. Um, but he also uses his spent greens um, 
and he gives those to a local farm. And in exchange, the local farm gives him fresh fruit to use in his brews. Hmm. So I thought that was another cool sustainability where we've talked many times in this podcast about reusing your spent grains, whether you're going to give it uh, for composting or you're going to go ahead and donate it to farms, uh, like we donate ours to Pig Farm, and also recently discovered Party Guile and being able to reuse your spent Mm -hmm. grain that way to make a whole nother beer. So there's many ways you can go about. So I just thought that was very interesting in addition to those strange, unusual. Mm -hmm. um, And actually, I was thinking too, on one of our previous episodes where we talked about the strange and unique ways to brew and brewing ingredients. What if you made like a motorized kayak using a keg, using that guy's same... I, genius idea for powering a motorcycle, mm. except you power a kayak. Doesn't that defeat the or whole purpose boat. of a kayak? Well, all right. Say a boat. Okay. <laughs> you can motorize your pontoon using your keg, but you okay. can also serve. It's got like a double chamber, so you could also serve cold beer. I'm sure cold beer. someone has made a pontoon out of kegs before. Probably. I feel like that was Very something buoyant. they would do. Yeah. Interesting idea, James. Maybe next summer's endeavor. (laughs) But this summer, we kicked off by going to Pennsylvania. Very exciting. My lovely cousin got married, so we headed down there. And on our way, we crossed the Delaware, just as Washington did, although the opposite way. So It was an excuse. I mean, we've been to Pennsylvania before, and we... We're at Valley Forge, so we're just, you know, we've gone to Mount Vernon and when we were in D.C. before, so we're just completing the Washington tour, pretty much. And this was a really good stopping point just because, number one, it wasn't out of the way. Yeah. And why are we bringing this up? Who cares about if we why went are we to the bringing spot up history because Washington Shannon keeps wanting to bring in history into this craft beer and homebrewing podcast. No, I'm just kidding. But I thought it was always interesting. So one of the, coming from New England and being from Boston, um, we have a big history in the American Revolution here in the United States. And at, George Washington was one of the most pivotal figures that is associated with the American Revolution. And in this case, the crossing of the Delaware has been painted many times as come up in so many different avenues and art forms and even has made its way into brewing walls where they make it seem like he's crossing a ridge of you know beer and just all kinds of different plays on it but in this case i want to talk about the common myth that i even thought was actual fact when it is not fact shannon and that is that we know of. when he crossed the delaware along with the troops on the morning of December 26, 1776, that the Hessian troops that were fighting for the British at the time were all hungover and drunk from the Christmas festivities the night before. That was the myth. That was the myth. And so many historians have tried to see if they could back that up or what they could substantiate for that those claims. And there's actually nothing that's, that makes that a fact. No evidence. No evidence. And in fact, um, it's less likely that that was happening because that day, Christmas Day, the whole Hessian army was chasing down some other rebels that were testing out their lines. <laughs> and so 
They were constantly under attack from local militias. So the Hessian commander, Rall, not only underestimated the Continental troops, but they were so exhausted from constantly having to deal with these militias that they were put on an order that they had to sleep in their uniforms with muskets ready, ready to go. And so they were just tired of chasing down these militias the days and weeks before that they wouldn't have had time and nor would they have wanted to get drunk and have celebrations. So myth. So I just thought that was really cool that, you know, this myth of that all these Hessian soldiers were drunk and that's why the Americans or the Continental Army at the time had a victory. No, it was more of just circumstance. They were in the right place, right time. They got the job done. They were young, scrappy, and hungry. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but another key thing that I thought was interesting was that they did recover 40 hogheads of rum and... When they were victorious, you know, the Continental troops started to drink this, and General Washington ordered the remainder to be destroyed so that basically his troops couldn't just get drunk and use it. And perpetuate the myth. Okay. Well, that's just a little history to kick everyone off on this week's episode. Thanks, James. Now you know, folks. Now you know. You've fallen asleep, then, well, welcome to the club. (laughs) James is putting himself to sleep. Yep. Okay, so while we were over in Pennsylvania, we did check out a couple of breweries. And the first one we're going to talk about is Well Crafted in Ambler, Pennsylvania. And this was, I would say, technically like your typical brewery-looking place. It was in a warehouse, kind of industrial district, garage doors, brick building, outdoor seating, Shannon got lost quite a few times trying to okay, get Okay, my cousin told me it was surrounded by barbed wire. FYI, a high fence <laughs> is not barbed wire. She goes, oh, don't mind. It looks kind of shady. It's surrounded by barbed wire, but it's still good. You should go there. And that just intrigued me even more because I, I love breweries <laughs> that are surrounded by barbed wire because it means their beer is probably damn good. We were concerned if it was next to a prison or something, but it was just a high fence. It was And it was a very nice high fence. It was a very, like modern fence so I don't know what she's talking about anyways but we went and checked that out with our family while we waited for the wedding festivities to begin and I think we all had a pretty good time I enjoyed their key lime pie beer that was my favorite yeah and their New England IPA was great as well and unfortunately we didn't get to experience when they have their summer Fridays where they have all Mm -hmm. the food trucks just a great outdoor space that they have where it's kind of a brewery that we're kind of familiar with up here um, in Massachusetts where that garage kind of you open up these giant garage doors and it's just a good bridge between the indoor brewery space and the exterior. And it was just a great, great time. Yeah, I'm actually drinking one of their beers now. I have the Witting. The Bel- Witting. I have the Witting Belgian Are you in the style. Continental Congress? Yes. Uh, it's a wheat beer. And it has coriander, raw honey, wildflowers, and citrus. And it's a pale straw color. The thing I like about this beer is that the can gives you instructions on how to drink it. So it says, for maximum enjoyment, rouse slash awaken this wit beer by pouring into a glass all but an inch or two of beer. Swirl the can and then slowly pour in the rest. I think it was a good spot. You should go check it out if you are in the area. And then... Polar opposite, I would say, of a vibe was Tannery Run Brewworks, also in Ambler, Pennsylvania. 
And this was more on the main street of mm-hmm. there's a lot great shopping and a couple of restaurants, a distillery, um, great area to walk around. And this gave more of a whimsical industrial bar vibe. And, you know, it had some high top tables. It actually had more tables than I thought when we walked in. I was like, oh, there's a lot of tables. They're like, oh, sit, seat yourself. And Shannon's like, do you want to sit at the high tops? Do you want to sit at the bar? I'm like, oh, we got to sit at this bar because it was such we a- We got to. We got to. Because it was just a very cool looking bar. They had at least, what, two or three kegerators as well, like separate from their main tap. So I was intrigued mm-hmm. by that, which they did have wine on tap, I believe. They so. did, yeah. So I thought that was something unique and cool that I've seen more often, I would say, now in breweries where mm-hmm. they're having wine on tap or kombucha or yeah. hard seltzer. So I think it's definitely something that we've been seeing more and more recently in breweries. So I don't know whether that's out of need or that's something they have wanted to do to kind of appease all the masses um, that would come in. But their food was just as amazing as their beers. And their logo was really unique too because we both appreciated it being game of thrones fans where it kind of had a dragon with the the grains going around mm-hmm. and the bartenders in both places were just really friendly knowledgeable and this is where we did the flight challenge shannon where yes. they this is one of the well i would say you challenged I, yourself I, I challenged myself and then i uh my brother-in-law was there and Shannon, and I'm like, you guys should do this too, because it, it really does, if you're trying to figure out what beers you really like and what why you do or don't like certain beers, just taking some notes while you're, mm-hmm. if the brewery actually gives some descriptors on their menus, it's a good way of checking what you perceive as certain flavors, aromas, and textures in that beer versus what they were trying to get you to taste. Well, and the good thing about this brewery is on the little card you get where you write down what you want on your flight, on the back is actually a place to take notes. So it has little spaces where you can write in. So James decided he was going to test his knowledge. I I did not want (laughs) that to go to waste. And I'm like, wow, they're encouraging you to actually experience your beer in a flight. But James is like tasting, writing down notes. And at the end he goes, check my work. Can you check it? Check it against the menu. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, I want to see how well I did. And I was like, okay. I wanted to see how well I did and also if I could pick up the specific characteristics that they made it a point to put on their menu to highlight what they wanted you to get out of the beer. Yeah. So I thought I did pretty good. I did pick up vanilla in one of the beers and I don't believe vanilla was on their list. I don't believe it was and I'm trying to remember what it was. But I think this was one of those breweries that actually encouraged the flights. Many breweries, they don't want to pour flights just because it's time consuming for the brew tenders to do when they're trying to, if there's a lot of people in line. And it's also, you might not get the best representative flavors out of a beer in a five ounce pour. But I tend to say, you know what? It's up to each individual and you could pick out every flavor in a mm-hmm. five ounce pour if you were that trained, if, if your palate was that, if, Are you trying to say that your palate is amazing? No, I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying there's pros and cons to doing flights, but you yes. know I I say I'm pro flight, where you know I'd rather try something, yeah. see if I like it rather than wasting a 16 ounce beer. Yeah, I had a wheat beer and then a couple of sours, and I thought they were all all good. 
My favorite was the Weedy McWheat face. And that's, I guess, one of their like just flagship. Hearing, just <laughs> hearing Shannon have to order that, I was just like, that's exactly why they had the name. Yeah, it's just it's a German style heft, so nothing too fancy. But that was my favorite. And they did name it after the Bodie McBoat face, which was a competition that happened a couple of years ago to name, I believe, a tugboat. I guess the owner really liked the Bodie McBoat face saga. So he named their one of their flagship beers Weedy McWheat face. And before we talk about the process that's used for the majority of, I think they had 16 beers on tap at the time. Mm -hmm. The majority of those beers were made using a certain process of split batch brewing. But in this case, they have termed it splatch brewing. Yes. But before we talk about that process, their food, food? their (laughs) food was just incredible. Yeah. And if you go on our Instagram, you can see the pictures of the food. And it was just the some of the best food I've had at a brewery in a long time. And it was just incredible. So if you're in Ambler, Pennsylvania, and you want good beer and also like really good food or a good spot to stop in for lunch, that's definitely what yeah. I would recommend doing. Their waffle fries were delicious. And I had the LGBTQ club sandwich, which also proceeds of that were donated to the Trevor Project. So I really appreciate it. They're also giving back to just and worthy causes out there. And I had the Reuben, which was just incredible with Mm -hmm. also waffle fries, because when you're offered waffle fries, you take the waffle fries. Yeah, I will always pick waffle fries. Don't make them soggy. I'll get mad. I take them very seriously. (laughs) You take them very seriously. (laughs) Okay. Well, enough about my waffle fries. Yes. So we discovered the bottom of their menu when we were trying to decide what we were going to get. We noticed a little asterisk they had placed saying that all of or most of their beers were brewed with splatch brewing. And I said to James, like, what is splatch brewing? I've never heard of this. I'm like, I've never heard of that either. And each beer that was made by this process had it in the description that this was a splatch beer i was like splatch i've never heard of that term and then lo and behold doing a little research tim brown who's the owner and head brewer of tannery run loves using this method for his beers and he has tried to coin the term splatch brewing which is basically the equivalent of split batch brewing and so he came up with the name of splatch brewing kind of putting them all together do not look that up on urban dictionary Trust me, you don't want to know what comes up. Don't do it. He designed his seven-barrel brewery specifically for the style of brewing where he has a giant mash tun, but he has two boil kettles. So I thought that was very unique, and we couldn't really see the brewing equipment that well from where we were sitting at the bar. If you walked over towards the back, you could look into it, but where we were sitting, we were closer to the front of the building. So Yeah, so basically... How split batch brewing works is you can use the same wort to make at least two different beers. And you can derive it from the same base ingredients, but you're finishing them separately. So it's similar to the party guile style that we highlighted in a previous episode. So if you want to learn about party guile brewing and the differences, check out that episode. But for split batch brewing, and actually I've done split batch brewing many times, and you probably have too, Shannon, and just haven't realized it. Yeah, I mean, we've done it technically with our blonde when we did the peach and the regular. Yeah, same like base beer, and we just, you just make, basically make a larger batch than what you plan to make, 
So say you make a 20-gallon batch, but you only want 10 gallons of a certain style beer. So you can make 20 gallons of using your base ingredients, and then you split that, and then post-mash, you can add things to the boil separately if you have the setup to do it. So in this case, he has two boil kettles, so he can split that one mash into two different boil kettles so he can manipulate the different ingredients, add things in the boil, or for during fermentation, you can also adjust the temperatures, you can use different yeast, you can use different hops. So one reason Brown wanted two separate boil kettles was for to have a more specific form of split batch brewing, the party guile. So I kind of alluded at the party guile, mm-hmm. split batch. So he wanted to have the flexibility to also be able to party guile where the big holdout for at mm-hmm. least the main reason that I found party guile was difficult when I was brewing it is having the one boil kettle. You have to wait for that one beer to finish before you can start the next one. So he thought ahead and was like, hey, if I have two boil kettles, I can save so much time by just splitting the mash and doing it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, again, for split batch brewing, you can do it a pre-boil split or a post-boil split of your beers. So very versatile, very versatile. (laughs) And it's, what's great about it is the amount of beers he had on his menu using the same base ingredients was incredible. IPAs, the Maybach, he had a sour, he had porter and a porter all made from the same base ingredients using this split batch brewing method, which is really cool. And in my flight, I tried to get all the ones that were made from using that process to kind of see if I could pick out that base ingredients, but I could not tell. So it's not one of those things where you do it and you, oh, okay, well, you're not going to have a completely unique beer. It's all based on what you decide to do with that split batch. So you could make it very similar where you only adjust one thing. Maybe Mm -hmm. you add like... 10 ounces of hops instead of five ounces. You can make it very... Or some spices. Or some or, spices. You can yeah. make it as diverse as you want, which is great because mm-hmm. it gives you that flexibility. Yeah. So some easy ways to do split batch brewing is you can change up the yeast. You can change up the hops. By hops, you can either dry hop or not. You can change up the variety of hops you use in the beer. So Shannon mentioned our blonde. Mm-hmm. We've done that where we tried a Zaka and we tried Cascade. Mm-hmm. And two di- totally different beers using the same base ingredients. Yep. But that I would char- characterize as a very small change. But it made a huge difference in the aroma and I would say the drinkability of both of those beers. Yeah, I agree. Also with the hops, you can whirlpool half the wort or you can not whirlpool. So it just would bring out maybe more aroma in one beer and less aroma in the other one if you're trying to get a fruity characteristic. Fruit addition, that leads me to fruit additions. You can choose to fruit those, which we've done as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Sugar. So sugar is another key change you can make for split batch brewing, and that's you can either add dark candy sugar to give that beer a very nice dark color. Very dark. Dark color. Dark side of the force color. Or you can also use sugar to boost your ABV or gravity in one beer versus the other one. So I've done mm-hmm. that before as well. So I'm like, wow, okay. Like this I isn't fancy. as shocking as I, my mind was blown when we were sitting there. And I'm like, man, how do I not know about this? Like you've just been doing it all along. You never I've been doing it. it all along. And yeah. just, you can also change fermentation temperatures. So that's one that I think I do and I don't even think about it. So different yeast strains, typically they have a different temperature range 
Mm-hmm. So you've done that as well, whether you did the fermentation just where you had it room temp with the yeast and then you mm-hmm. did the same beer, but then you used temp control for it to make sure it stayed within a certain mm-hmm. parameter. So again, simple, but you can come up with a totally different beer. You can also age one batch post-fermentation. So you can make the same yeah. for porter or stout and you can put one in an oak age barrel. See how that turns out? You mm-hmm. can do one in a whiskey barrel. Yeah. Sky's the limit. Any kind of barrel. Well, not any kind of barrel, but yeah. <laughs> so Shan, what kind of benefits do you think or have you seen when you've we've done this and we've brewed these at home? Uh, using well, the split I think batch? I mean time saving is definitely a big one because you're making one big batch and then being able to split into two and get two different pair of beers as opposed to having two separate brew days to have to do those two different styles or two different beers. So I think that's a big factor, especially, you know, as parents not having a ton of time to, you know, just brew all the weekend or whatever we may want to do. It's easier to get in multiple beers in one day. Yeah. And I think sustainability comes in. You're using the same wort potentially, so you're saving water. And by water, I mean yeah. cleaning water of having to clean in the middle of your run to make way for the next beer. Mm-hmm. Or um, Yeah, and I think it's also nice to be able to do maybe some experimenting. Like you could keep a larger batch of, if it's a beer that you know you like, maybe keep a larger batch. And then instead of going 50-50, maybe take, you know, like 20, do 75-25. And take the 25, you can do something fun with it i'm saying what numbers are you talking you're 75 <laughs> 25 and you can do t- something with the 25 i don't get what are you saying like you can brew a big batch of beer instead of just splitting it 50 50 and doing one adding to one half of the beer why are you looking at me like i have five heads <laughs> just saying you don't have to split it it evenly. doesn't have to you be an make, even split batch yeah you can so if you want to do a like a smaller batch. test batch and not like if it doesn't come out great then you're not ruining half the beer you could just do like a 25 yeah, and that's percent good. of that big batch, experiment with it and then keep the 75 or do four 25s. Yeah, so what or do, do 25. Shannon's just spitting out numbers here. So what Shannon's to summarize, what Shannon's mathematical brain Please is translate. is translation is, this is a non-split batch brain. does not equal an even split in what beers you make. You yeah, can make Yeah, like I'm saying you don't just cuz it's split doesn't mean it gallon, has to be even. In a 20 gallon batch, you could do a 15 gallon of you're blonde with Azaka hops, and you could do a five-gallon batch of the blonde. With bananas. With bananas and I don't know. Yeah. Shannon yeast. Yeah, something. Like, you don't have to do a 50-50 split is what I'm trying to say. What you're trying to say is the 75, 25, 32. <laughs> this is my non-mathematical brain trying to make sense of fractions. Welcome to my world. <laughs> Welcome to if the world If you're confused, so am I. And another benefit to... Sp- split batch brewing is if you can't drink it all of one certain style, but you know people that you friends with, your family likes a certain style, you're not stuck with a huge batch of beer that Mm -hmm. you don't want to drink. So some cons that I could think of that I've experienced while doing the split batches is you can run out of fermenters really fast. So you have to have the capability to at least have two fermenters to do this. When that, whether that's plastic buckets or your stainless steel conical fermenters, you have to have, you can only split, do split batch brewing to the capacity of your, your brewery or home brewery. Yes. Yes. Good point, James. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's definitely something you need to plan for in advance. And if you're, this is something you're wanting to do, either get more fermenters, which I'm sure. Which was my Everyone approach. wants to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't just say to buy more things. Sure. You heard or, it, folks. Yeah. Or, you know, make sure all your current fermenters are empty and be able to put the split batch in there. And also then you have to be mindful of if you plan to have it on draft, you have to have the amount of kegs ready Mm -hmm. to serve that as well. Double the fun. So you had mentioned one of the benefits is saving time. So yes, that's true on the hot side of brewing. It saves you maybe an hour in boil if you decide to just manipulate it in fermentation. Um, It has some cleaning time savings up front at the hot side of Mm -hmm brewing however on the cold side of brewing it you're going to have additional cleaning for additional fermenters additional keg cleaning so you're kind of manipulating the time from your actual brew day to spreading it out over time where you're going to be transferring yeah, but i feel like that but time it, ratio it still does is... yeah it still does save you time don't get me into time ratios james the 75 <laughs> 25 james the 25 percent of time you're saving in the hot brewing day we allocated over 10 days. Of <laughs> I'm going to stop. <laughs> Nobody knows what I'm saying. So, But one of the important things with split batch brewing is to just plan ahead. Check your base ingredients. Check your grain bill when you're deciding mm-hmm. to do this. And also keep in mind your capacity. So if you have two open fermenters and you only have one boil kettle, just be mindful of, okay, well, if I want to sp- add manipulate items during the boil i'll have to wait for that first amount of liquid to do its boil for an hour or 30 minutes before i can move the rest of the wart from the mash tun mm-hmm. to the boil kettle which i've had to do and it, it does take some time with that otherwise you can do what i've done and if you want a faster brew day i just manipulate everything by choosing a different yeast strain mm-hmm. and i'll dry hop one and I won't dry hop the other or something along those lines mm-hmm. to kind of experiment and see which version of the same beer I prefer or yeah. characteristics I wanted to bring out in the beer. I feel like my sour could have benefited from split batch brewing. Like I could have taken half of it and did some like fruit additive or something yeah. and then had two, two different sours, but it's kegged up. Too late, folks. It's too late. Too late. You could you could add fruit to the keg, but now that's mm, it's, it's we didn't use up. the more beer, so. So I just think it was really cool that by traveling to Pennsylvania and experiencing a home brewer now craft brewer mm-hmm. owner and putting split batch brewing in the focal point for yeah, his brewery on the menu, like putting that term out there, putting the term out there, but also utilizing that in a prominent, very prominent way Mm -hmm. uh, for your brewery was just something that really connected us to, you know, home brewers and craft beer industry Mm -hmm. and just showing that, you know, you don't have to have this huge setup or you don't have to have the most expensive gear, but you can still Be be resourceful, find creative ways of making different beers. And that's just wonderful. And that's what experimenting and what that's what homebrewing is all about and what mm-hmm. craft beer is all about is just sharing that with others and you know hopefully you like it and if you don't like it then you know what you make something that you like that you can share <laughs> words of wisdom words of wisdom yes i am 
I'm glad that we delved into that. So it only took us crossing the freaking Delaware to realize yeah. that we've been doing it all the time. So yep. got to love us patriots, you know. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well. Announcement. Like my drum roll? In the big announcement that you've all been waiting for, we will have merch when this releases. Merch, 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 merch. Now, the reason why we decided to do merch, and it's taken this long for us to do merch, is we haven't done ads. We don't have a Patreon. So you can really show your support for our show by following us on Instagram, listening to our shows, and then by us providing merchandise, you can support us that way, and you get something great in return. Yeah, so we've got... A lot of good stuff on there right now. We've got some t-shirts, tank tops for the ladies. I'm very excited. Um, I like tank tops too, Shannon. Okay, well. Men can <laughs> wear tank tops as well. That is true. You have worn it and we have teased it in pictures. Yes, we have. If you go look on our Instagram, you can find it. Hidden gem. Um, and we also have some glassware. Yeah. So this will just be great too when you guys go on, get some merch sport it at your favorite breweries and take a picture and tag us in it because this is what we are all about is outreach to the community and just sharing yeah. beer with everybody and home brewing and it's it really is a community so we that's why we really wanted to give you guys the listeners something to be proud of and to kind of be part of our community of you know you're part of our home brewing podcast community so yeah, and you should go check them out because there is a cool design by the one and only Caitlin that we always sing our praises to. So you want to go check out what that is all about. And all you loyal listeners out there, Flocculation Nation is here! <laughs> James just put his fists in the air. For, I did. I'm so excited for, for this that, visual for that podcast. shirt. And <laughs> it, it's great, and we'll be doing limited time shirts. We'll be coming out with new shirts all the time, but just make sure you go on and... And check that out. Yeah. Please do. And thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode of Double Hot Beat. If you are a home brewer and want to come on our show and share your story, send us a direct message on Instagram at Double Hot Beat Podcast. And please remember to follow us on our Instagram and rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform because that really does help us find new listeners just like you. This has been Double Double Hot Beat. Catch you on the Bruce Bruce side. side. We got merch. (laughs) 